We're continuing this series, uh, Take Back Your Life. I hope that you're enjoying it. I want to talk about something today that sometimes you hear people talk about, and that's the power of your thoughts. I actually do not think, after engaging with people on a regular basis, even thinking about my life, I just feel like sometimes I wake up in the morning, and then I blink, and I'm back home. You know, between meetings and commitments. Do you feel like that sometimes? It's just so much to do. I actually don't think that people think about their thoughts at all, <laughs> except in some cases where you may some, say something that you shock yourself. You're like, did I really think that? Or you say something that you hope no one actually hears you say or hears you think. Only then am I really saying, oh boy, did I really think that thought? But the battle of the mind is simply this premise that you cannot live the life you want when you're thinking wrong. You can't live the right life while thinking wrong. Today's sermon is not about mind over matter. There are countless books and websites and podcasts dedicated to that. I don't think mind over matter works when we have crisis and tragedy. It doesn't seem to be changing anyone's mind about what's going on in Israel or the Ukraine. Uh, they're not struggling with negative thinking or positive thinking. They're struggling with evil. You know, that war in Israel goes back thousands of years between two brothers, Jacob and Esau. And somebody thought something ill of the other person. Jacob's name meant deceiver, by the way. And he thought deceitful things, and people are still being killed years later because of what one brother thought about the other. That's how powerful a thought really is. So today is not about mind over matter. Today is about what you having in your mind on a daily basis truly matters. I know a lot of you have heard this old proverb, as a man thinketh, as a woman thinketh, so is he, so is she. It's so true. It is so true. It makes all the difference in the world. What we now know because of the technology that has advanced over the years with neuroscience, think about this. This is what we know for sure these days, is only about 2 to 25% of disease in the human body actually comes from genetics. 2 to 25%. You know what that means? That 75 to 98% of disease that is killing people on a regular basis comes from the power of their thoughts. We're talking about cancer. We're talking about dementia, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. That is what neuroscientists now believe. Up to 98% of what you think can kill you. And you haven't even acted on it yet. Some people call that stress, but stress is a thought that makes you feel a certain way. I'm not going to promise you today that if you think positive thoughts, that's going to somehow change your life or make you any less sick or any less broke. That's a different conversation for a different time. What we're saying is that the majority of the signals coming from your mind to your brain, because neuroscientists say that's the two different entities, the mind is the one where all the thoughts come from, and then the brain acts on those signals. But we're saying the majority of, those, of that data, that bandwidth, that download every day that's coming from your mind is going to control your life. And so, my friends, it is really imperative that we give some thought this morning to the power of what we're thinking. Our thoughts are so powerful. It's like getting on a train in the morning, and somehow by the end of the day, you don't even end up at the destination. Somehow the rails got moved. You see those in the movies sometimes where the train's going on one rail and then they do the switch and it goes on the other rail. That's how powerful your thoughts are. They can derail you and you don't even know how you got to that place by 8 o'clock in the evening. Hence the expression train of thought. 
Every morning you should be asking yourself, where am I going to end up at the end of the day if I keep taking this one thought to its logical conclusion? If you wake up angry tomorrow morning and you're not careful, you're going to be angry all day. If you wake up anxious tomorrow morning, you're going to be very anxious and heavy-hearted by the time you go to bed. And that is not a good day, is it? That's a heavy day. And so you need to think about which train you're jumping on because if you're not careful, this, the origin always ends with the outcome. That's how powerful your thoughts are. This is a reality that many people have observed for a very long time. This is one of the favorite quotes I found this week from Earl Nightingale. He says, whatever we plant in our subconscious mind, and nourish that with repetition. You keep thinking about that. And emotion, you're getting involved in your thoughts, will one day become a reality. What that means is it doesn't have to be true. You just believe it's true. We call that a self-fulfilling prophecy. Many people believe that they have truth when all they're doing is playing this thing back in their mind over and over and over again. And this is why you can place... The same amount of people in the same situation with the same circumstances. Say if you pick 15 people or 20 people. This is why some of those people at the end of that situation are actually stuck and some move ahead. Some crawl out of that situation because some people only believe in what they think. Whereas other people have learned with a lot of practice to change their thinking. Ever wonder why you keep receiving certain ads as you actually go online every day? I mean, the obvious answer is algorithms. But the real answer is that your ads are focused on what you're focused on. And so these algorithms are picking up, oh, this guy loves to buy kayaks. That's me. They're talking to me. <laughs> I'm always looking at kayaks online. I can't do any web search without kayaks coming up on the side screen. How do they know to send you that ad? Because you told them. You just keep going click, click, click every day. And they have these things called spiders, which is buried in the code, and they just keep watching what you do, which is really what you're thinking. And they keep sending you more of that, so maybe you go back on Amazon and purchase some more. What I'm telling you this morning is by the power of God in your life, I hope you realize by the end of my talk today that you can actually start to take your life back. I'm talking about getting your thought life under control. I'm not talking about getting it under your control because you have no control. I don't have any control, but you can get it under God's control, and I'm really surprised to see what that might look like. This is what really God wanted for our lives from the very beginning. Check out this text in Ecclesiastes. God made human beings from the day you were born. He actually made you for righteousness. Isn't that amazing? Your origin story is pretty awesome. God made you. I don't know what your birth date is. Mine is May the 8th, 1972. I'm still a spring chicken. God made me and you for righteousness. When, he, when you came out of the birth canal that day, wherever you were born, God said, this person is going to do something important, something good, something righteous, something holy. That's how high you are in God's estimation. But what does it say? We always seek other alternatives. Once again, how you start your day and how you're going to end it is largely up to you. You're like the person, if you want to be, in Psalm 1, and I always love this verse. Sometimes I just like to go back to these verses to say, I need to keep it real simple. This just says, you know, you're like a tree planted by streams of water. One translation says you have luscious fruit. 
that your leaves are leafy green, you are a person who flourishes. Is that how you'd like to think of yourself tomorrow? Because God actually said, I made you to do very spiritual, righteous things. That's who you are. We're made to flourish. Over the last three to four years, give or take, I've been out in my backyard a lot. When my wife and I bought our house seven years ago, I actually kept praying to God, God, I want a backyard. And so when we finally bought this house, we actually got two lots, which is amazing because now we're the party house in Blair. We're the loudest neighbors in our community, trust me. We have always have a lot of crowds over, but what I've been doing for the last three or four years is I've been planting a lot of Bahamian about fruit trees. Why? Because I'm a Bahamian. If you're Bahamian, you plant fruit trees. I now have three lime trees, one mango tree, one avocado tree. I've got soursop, I got sugar apple, I got Japanese cherry, I got Bahamian cherry, and I just planted star fruit. You know, and it's really fun. I love planting fruit trees. And I've been noticing that no matter how much I fertilize, and I, I treat these kids, these trees like my children. I love these trees so much. I'm noticing that after three to four years, every single one of my trees keeps growing in a southwesterly direction. Have you noticed that about trees in New York? Because that's where the sun is setting every day in your backyard. And I planted all these trees, you know, north. But after four years, they're all growing toward the light. And people are really like that without God. You know, if you leave people to themselves, they always lean in the direction where they think they should be going. God wants you true north, and you're going southwest. We generally go every day with what's familiar. People tell you 40% of your decisions every day, 40%. Baseline is just habit, pure habit. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and 40% of what you do is because you did it for a couple years. The familiar, the powerful, what you know, what you're comfortable with, that's going to drive you unless you think very differently about how you're going through your day. We always fall on the instinctual, on the default mechanism. But how do you know if you're really growing where you need to go? You just keep pointing southwest because it feels like what you did yesterday. That's really how most of us live. How do we stay How do we make sure that we're not overly preoccupied with what you did yesterday or the day before? How do you focus on what God is trying to do? If God wants you to be north and your tree keeps on tilting, because now I have two trees in my yard where I took two pieces of two by four, and now I'm stenching the tree back up north because it keeps leaning southwest. You know? It starts by identifying my friends. This sounds so simplistic. It really is, but you have to start somewhere. It starts by identifying in your life, do you really know what you truly value? Our allegiances always determine our focus. Whatever you're running after, whatever you're chasing after, that is what you're all, that's all you're going to think about. I love this quote by Neville Goddard. It is not what you want that you attract. You attract what you already believe to be true. Whatever is important to you, that will always fill your thoughts. And that's why Jesus sometimes made these simple observations about these types of quotes. And he said, wherever your treasure is, whatever you really value, whatever you're banking on. And some of you are not banking on money. Some of you are banking on power. Some of you are banking on being liked. I don't know what you have in your bank. But Jesus says, whatever you treasure, that's where your heart is. And the heart in the scripture, in these old texts, is where our thoughts come from. So for people on a spiritual journey, I actually think it's not always easy. I think it takes, you have to read a lot, man. 
If you don't believe in therapy, that's because you haven't tried it. People tell me that all the time. Therapy doesn't work. I'm like, it doesn't sound like you are actually listen to your therapist. But if you, if you talk to smart people, if you read their books, if you listen to what they're trying to tell you, they'll actually show you that truth is hiding right in front of you. Truth is always hiding in plain sight. The answer is right there every day, and sometimes you just have to do the opposite of what you did yesterday. Because what you did yesterday was familiar. You did it out of habit, and you're going to do it again unless you actually introduce an entirely new way of thinking about how you go through your day. What people are doing is that we're taking these beautiful things, and a lot of the things we chase after, by the way, are not inherently bad. Most of the things that distract you are really good, like paying your bills, paying your taxes, raising your kids, going to work on time. All of those things are good. You know, we just take these good things and somehow we make them God things. We're giving them sometimes primary focus instead of secondary. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, we actually think that idols are bad things, but that is almost never the case. The greater the good, the more likely we are to expect that it can satisfy our deepest needs and hopes. Anything can serve as a counterfeit God, especially the very best things in life. And there ain't nothing wrong with nice things. I hope you're having a great life. I got to tell you, I'm having a great life. I tell people all the time now, especially the couples that come in the evenings here for counseling, if you asked me 30 years ago if I would be as happy as I am today, I'm like, uh, maybe. Man, it's just so, I just love being married. I love having kids. I even love my bills. I love traffic. I'm serious. I love all the craziness of Nassau. I love the crazy people, the joke jokes. You know, three times a week someone tries to cut me off in traffic. I'm like, I'm getting to be a better driver. I'm just at that age now when it rains, I love the rain. I roll up my windows, I turn on the air conditioning, I just talk to God. I usually sing. I just love the ride home. I don't, take, I don't care how long it takes me to get home because I'm usually singing the whole way. I'm so happy with my God and my wife and my kids and my church and my neighbors. I'm just really content. And it's a really place to, place to be, but it's because I, I see all the good things as coming from God. That's what the Bible says. All good gifts come from the Father above. You're supposed to like the gift. You're supposed to drink it, eat it, dance it, enjoy it, jiggy, do a little jiggy, enjoy what he's given you. You're supposed to like your life, but just don't forget, it's not the most important thing. It's just a good thing. That's why we have the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler. The only reason you have that story in the New Testament, because Jesus never says anything like that to anybody else. He never asked anyone to give away all their money. He only says it to one person because somehow Jesus knew about what this guy was about. He knew that the only thing that really mattered to this guy was what he possessed. So he only gives him the answer that he needs to hear. What he possessed was the only thing, and I don't know what you have that you possess that's so important to you, because if you were the person in this story, Jesus probably wouldn't ask you to give away your money. He might ask you to give away your friends or to give away your ideologies or whatever you're so committed to if it has taken place of the giver in your life. Once we identify what that thing is in your life, you just have to identify how it controls you. I was reading the other day, and I didn't know this. I read the other day that if you open up a piano, the cover of a piano, and if you stick your head inside and you shout as loudly as you can, 
that the strings of the piano will actually match the pitch of your raised voice. Isn't that cool? The echo that comes back from the vibration of the strings is pitch perfect with the pitch of your scream. That means that the most common temptations that you already have in your life is just playing on the strings of your heart. Every one of us in this room this morning has something that almost every day you're going to fall into doing it because you struggled with it yesterday. It's just, it's so normal to you now. This is what James was talking about when he says temptation comes from our own desires. The desires are already in you, the strings and the pitch and the reverberation, whatever you care about, whatever you think about, all that you do. If habits are 40% of your day, what are those 40% of the things that you're doing because that's all you think about? That's the pitch of the strings. He says temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. This is a lot of birth language. We often think that somehow that our temptations come from our circumstances. That's why we sometimes talk down to other people, like, get away from me. But that's not what James is saying. The problem sometimes is not your circumstances. The problem is what you bring into your circumstances. I see men like to blame women all the time for how they dress. But these men already think about these women. They're undressing them regardless of how they dress because the strings are reverberating already inside of them. Your desires are personal. You know what it really means? It's almost as if you have an algorithm inside of you where that code is just repeating itself every day, whatever you struggle with, money, sex, relationships, weakness, strength, pride, greed. You're going to do it again tomorrow because that's what you still like to do. It's in you. It doesn't have to be, but you haven't chose to change your mind about it yet. If you didn't actually have a particular internal desire, according to this verse, temptation would have absolutely no pull on you. If you're sitting here this morning and you are a greedy person, you're going to be greedy tomorrow. That's just the way it works. Because, you know, it takes a long time to change, doesn't it? If you're an anxious person, you're probably going to be anxious every day next week because you haven't chosen to move past it yet. That struggle is inside of you. This is why, by the way, some people don't struggle with what you struggle with because they don't have your sin. They have their sin. And that's why they say you never judge someone who sins differently from you. They got their own problems. A lot of us love to blame the devil. Bahamians love to blame the devil for everything. It's always the devil's fault why we get hit with a hurricane. But if God delivers Nassau, somehow we're better than all the people in the family islands. That's an interesting theology for Bahamians. But the, Bah the devil is only playing on the strings inside of you. He knows which notes to hit, man. If you need, if you're the kind of person that your struggle is to feel to the need to feel safe or secure, that's what you struggle with. If you struggle with being liked or to feel significant, the devil's going to keep you so preoccupied with yourself next week because that's all he has to do is make you feel bad about yourself. If you need to be right all the time because it makes you feel more powerful than other people, the devil's going to put someone in your path tomorrow that, you know, they're doing something that annoys you and he says, you need to set the record straight. Because it doesn't take you much to trip you up, and it doesn't take 
much to trip me up. He knows the strings. If you were a person that's prone to small thinking and you're always thinking about what a failure you are, the devil will keep you thin-skinned and insecure every single day because he knows which notes and which strings to play. Thankfully, my friends, the devil does not have the final say. We can retrain our minds. This is what Paul was talking about. He says, we tear down every proud idea. These are your thoughts, by the way. We tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. We capture every thought. Capture it and you don't let it go. And you make it give up. And then you would say, listen, you thought you obey Christ. Two things Paul is saying very quickly here. That there's a daily battle in your mind and mine. Two selves. There's the self in you that wants what you want. And, and, and that person ain't going nowhere tomorrow. And there's the other self that only wants what God wants. And that person isn't going anywhere either. You're being pulled every single day between these two selves. It means that really at the end of the day, your mind is the most vulnerable organ in your body. Your mind. And you grow it with the qualities that God wants to instill. So Paul is saying there's two things pulling at you. The second thing he's saying is that God will give you power over your thoughts. This is what the Bible calls holding every thought captive. You guys have heard this before, right? Holding it captive. Putting it in Fox Hill. You ain't letting it go. It ain't getting out on bail. It's staying in Fox Hill prison. It means you're not letting the thought get away from you. You're not letting it control you. What's really happening this morning is we're saying that unlike us who don't really know how we're so capable Our Father, your Heavenly Father, He knows you so well. He believes in you so deeply. He knows exactly what you're capable of doing, whether you like it or not. I was thinking this morning, sometimes God is like that fitness instructor. How many of you have a personal fitness coach? You go to the gym. He says, give me three more reps. And you're like, your muscles are aching. I mean, the burn is on. And he's like, no, give me three more. Or they add 20 more pounds to the plate. You know why? Because your personal fitness trainer says, I, got, I know you got this. You're like, I ain't got this. They're like, give me three more. And that's what God is doing. He's saying, hold that thought captive. Don't let it go. I know you can do this. You can forgive. You can say you're sorry right now. You can trust me right now. You can let that one thing go right now. You can let their relationship go. Push. 20 more pounds on the bar. Three more reps. No, you have not forgiven. Let's go. Say you're sorry now. Push. He knows you can do it. Do not wimp out when God is pushing you to change your life. Do not think small. You are not a small person. How do we hold these thoughts captive before they hold us captive? Quickly here, don't block the old thought. Replace it with a new one. Second Timothy says this, run from anything that gives you the evil thoughts, but stay close to anything that makes you want to do what is right. I love what King David prayed here. Father, keep me from paying attention to anything that's worthless. That's such a simple prayer, isn't it? Dr. Carolyn Leaf, she's, she's a neuroscience I follow all the time online. She says, we can go three weeks without food, three days without water, three minutes without oxygen, but we can't even go for three seconds without thinking. That's how active your mind is. Every time you try to block a thought, you know what I'm going to say, it's going to come right back. Have you noticed there's no off switch? 
Whatever you're thinking, you're thinking. Don't feel bad about that. Welcome to the human race. On any given day, the average human being has from 16,000 to 18,000 thoughts. And that's just 24 hours. That's how active your mind is. Scientists tell us that anytime you think about something for seven minutes a day, for 21 days, that actually becomes lodged into your brain. First it was an immaterial thing, it actually now becomes a part of your brain. We're talking about tissue. Thoughts become tissue. That's what we know about the brain. And all you did was think about it for seven minutes a day for 21 days. That's how powerful your thoughts are. The more you fight a feeling, the more it consumes you and it will control you. And this is why when a negative thought pops into your head, you can't delete it, but you can replace it. You can change the channel. If you find yourself in a very unhealthy conversation the next couple days, walk away. You can leave all those people over there rowing and arguing, gossiping. If it's a toxic conversation, just walk away. You don't have to stay. If you do stay, that thought is going to take you over. Change the channel. Walk out of the movie theater. You can tell people in your life, I don't think this relationship is working anymore. <laughs> I used to think that we could manage this. Now I, you're just bad for me. You're not the kind of person I'm going to have in my life. And feeling bad isn't going to help you. Feeling bad does not help you become a good person. That's just an emotion. It's a feeling. Growing closer to God is not the result of trying harder. It's just surrendering in these moments. It's just little choices. So my friends, we replace old thinking with new ones. We also reveal our struggle in a safe environment. A lot of you are not doing this. A lot of you are not doing this. You're so afraid of telling at least one person what's really going on in your life. Ecclesiastes says, you are better off to have a friend than to be all alone. If you fall, at least your friend can help you up. But if you fall without having a friend nearby, you are really in trouble, man. Because you're not going to change because no one was there to tell you to change. Once you tell another person what your real secrets are, guess what? That secret doesn't have any power over you anymore. We sometimes call those people accountability partners. And you don't have to broadcast it to the whole world. In fact, I, I advise you not to do it because you know secrets in this country. You just need to tell one person that you can trust, one person who won't judge you, one person who will just sit and listen to you, no matter how much you're struggling with it, they're like, listen, just tell me what's going on. James Clear, who wrote that amazing bestseller, Atomic Habits, he said, most of the time, you don't actually need more information. You just need more courage. And a person who knows you well will say, listen, man, you've got this. Thank you for confiding me. Now go and do something about it. You don't need more information. You just need more courage, and you probably don't have it. Some problems are just too ingrained, man. They're too familiar. You keep tripping over them to solve on your own. For some of you listening to me today, the truth is that whatever you can't talk about right now is probably already out of control in your life. I learned that as a counselor. If you're not talking to anybody about it, it's out of control. You really need to pick up the phone. Just make sure it's a really safe person because you will regret telling the wrong person. Trust me on that. Find your lifeline. Share your secrets. There's an old adage in AA. It says you're only as sick as your secrets. You're only as sick as your secrets. 
Once they're no longer secrets, you can get on with your life. Confession is good for the soul, my friends. You want to beat that addiction? You want to stop watching porn? You want to get out of that toxic relationship? You want to stop being anxious or angry or cynical or greedy? Find a friend. Tell them your secret. Bring it to the light of day and get on with your life. Support groups really work. We replace old thinking. We reveal our struggles. We remember, thirdly, what God says is true. 1 Corinthians 10 says, Do not be naive and don't be self-confident. You are not exempt from struggling. You can fall flat on your face as easily as anyone else. Forget about being self-confident. It's useless. Cultivate God confidence. Remind yourself how much God believes in you. God believes in you so much you can get it wrong all day till quarter to 12 tomorrow before midnight, and you can have the last 15 minutes with God and let him encourage you. <laughs> you really need to pray after that. Like, God, I keep God and get wrong today. It's like, I got you. God does not leave or forsake. You know, I, I, I've been thinking recently about why the devil tempted Jesus the way that he did. And I don't know this for sure, so don't take this as gospel, but you know, the first temptation is for Jesus to do what felt right to him. Like, this is very difficult. He hadn't eaten for 40 days. What are you doing out in the desert, not eating, not drinking? Just do what feels right and get out of the situation. That was the first temptation. The second temptation was just to question God's love. Does he really care about you? Maybe he doesn't, so you care for yourself. I find this interesting what he's tempting Jesus with. The third temptation is just take control of your life. God doesn't really know what he's doing. You do what you got to do. Did he tempt Jesus because Jesus came from a single-parent family? Because at some point in time, most of the Gospels stopped talking about the dad. They just assumed he had already died. Mary's raising all these kids by herself. Is that why he tempted Jesus? I don't know. Was he tempting Jesus because he grew up in poverty? Because he did. Did he tempt Jesus because he was almost murdered as a baby? You know the Christmas story? Is Jesus having thoughts as he's getting older? I don't know for sure, but I could tell you this. These three things that the devil threw in front of him, he was so sure that would trip Jesus up. He thought he had the right bait. He was just chumming the water. But he didn't do it. Even at his greatest moment of his vulnerability, Jesus doesn't even argue with the devil. He just quotes scripture, man. He was holding the thought, holding the thought. What does my father say? What did he promise me? What does he know about me? I'm going to hold that thought. This devil don't know nothing about nothing. He did the same thing in Gethsemane right before he was murdered. Not my will, but yours. He's holding the thought. My God, I don't want to do this. Not my will, but yours. I don't want to die. Not my will, but yours. Hold the thought. If you could take this cup away, but not what I want. You want all the thought. You're almost there. If Jesus didn't argue with the devil, neither should you. You know why? He's better at arguing than all of us. He's had thousands of years to practice with human beings. You ain't going to win that argument. Trust me. You can use the weapon that makes him tremble, which is to fall back on the truths of God. What does God say about me? This is why you should be memorizing certain scriptures. 
I don't know what your sanity is, but I got some scriptures I always fall back on. If you don't have certain scriptures in, that comes to mind, let me tell you something. You ain't got no bullets in your gun. You ain't got no ammunition. He's going to get you because you're not falling back on the truth that God always knew about you. You have no bullets in your gun. We replace all thinking, reveal our struggle, we recognize what God says is true. Hold the thought. Hold the thought. Not my will, but yours. And we assume the position. I'm talking about getting on your knees in prayer unless you're driving. Keep your eyes on the road. Second Corinthians says, I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. I am with you. That is all you need to know. I am with you. I'm not going anywhere. My power shows up best in weak people. I am with you. Get it? I love you. Some people don't pray because they don't know what to say. You don't need to be poetic. You just need to keep it real. He is with me. He is with me. Hold the thought. He said, I am with you. He is with me. I am with you. He is with me. He is with me now. Tell God what you're feeling. Tell him what you don't believe and tell him what you want to believe, but hold the thought. Speak your truth. We talk about praying without ceasing. I'm talking about you just talking to God all the time. If you can do like Sometimes just a five-second prayer while you're driving. I have these habits I do where I have post-it notes everywhere. If I want to think about something every day, it's usually on the dashboard of my car. It's on the seat. I sometimes stick it to the mirror. My wife does not like that. In the bathroom. I have it on the kitchen counter. I have it on my desk just to say, I'm going to pray that prayer every time I see that note. What are you doing that just simply keeps you in that groove to hold the thought? Because once again, someone's going to steal your good day from you. Or you're going to steal your good day. When you're driving, shopping, you can actually, you can shop. You can, I hate grocery shopping, by the way. It's my least favorite domestic activity. But I think that's why I sing all the time, because I'm really praying to God. When I'm paying bills, I'm praying. I'm holding the thought. You can do it too. Sitting in traffic. You spend all your life in this island in traffic. Hold the thought in traffic. Some of you just get a Sharpie marker and write it here. You know, put it somewhere obvious. If you don't see it every 10 seconds, you're going to forget it. The bills, man, the stress is coming for you. What do you need to remind yourself of every day? Your, our spirituality is so simple. Imagine waking up tomorrow and for three hours tomorrow, you held on to one thought every five minutes. Trust me, your prayer life will come alive. I want to close right now. One of the things I like to practice no matter what I'm doing, and this is something I just wanted to give you a quick example before we go home today. These are just called breath prayers. I'm not making this up. This is something that people do all the time. Old people are always praying. Do you know that? I always hear these old women down here muttering, praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Old people are always, because they sit down all the time. All they have is time. They're always talking to God. You could steal one of these for tomorrow. I mean, this is just a hold the thought phrase for you. If you want this, steal it. Take it somewhere tomorrow. Start today. God, you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. If you said that every five seconds, all day tomorrow, you actually might believe that. You pick a phrase that you don't believe and you pray that all day. I receive your grace. 
I receive your grace. And you do not let that go. Once again, you have to say something every seven minutes for 21 days for a thought to become a part of your brain. It's a form of meditation. I receive your grace. You are most welcome here. This is what I always pray to God. You are most welcome here. I'm paying bills, and you are most welcome here because you need to help me pay these bills. You are most welcome here. That person just cut me off in traffic. You are most welcome here. You got to keep this stuff real. I don't know what you need to take with you today. Help me trust you. St. Teresa of Avila, she say, God, I, I love you, but I don't love you, but I want to love you, but I really don't love you, but I want to love you, but I really, really love you, but I don't love you, but I really want to. <laughs> she said that all the time. She wrote it in her journal. This doubt-filled saint. Not my will, but yours. If you're getting... If you're always getting your way, you need to pray this all the time. Not my will, but yours. And then I left you with a Bahamian prayer at the end there. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. Y'all don't think Bahamians like to pray, but y'all don't be on Bahamas here when the plane takes off and everyone says, Jesus. <laughs> y'all don't see Bahamians pray? Yeah. One more story, then I'm going to get off the stage. I was, in, I was in VIP. VIP. You know, you guys know where VIP is? They're everywhere in this island. VIP Chinese food. I went there like two weeks ago. They got the, they, you know, not the best Chinese food. Sorry. <laughs> I'm not endorsing them. But I went there and like, there was like 20 of us doing takeout. I said to one woman, I said, you ain't, you ain't cooking tonight? She said, No. I said, I ain't cooking tonight. And I think it was like a Saturday. I ain't cooking even on Sunday. And I ain't cooking on Monday or Tuesday. And everybody started chiming in. Boy, I ain't cooking either. And I ain't cooking. And I ain't cooking. Everybody there thinking the same thing. We're all tired. It's been a long week. All you could afford is VIP. You really want Double Dragon or East Villa. <laughs> you got enough money for that. What prayer will we pray here? Jesus, take the wheel. Don't let this food kill me tonight. <laughs> oh my God. I find that we're all just very human. I said it in my last sermon. We're not human beings on a spiritual journey. We're spiritual beings on a human journey. Keep your prayer that's close to you, my friends. If you're like me, because I have ADD, I can forget what I just said to you. Nope, there it is. Jesus, take the wheel. I don't know what prayer you need. Steal one of these. We'll get another one offline. Take the one you need. You can do this, right? You can do this. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for encouragement. Who knew it was this simple? Everyone here in this room wants to be here. We're all on a beautiful spiritual journey. You're just simply telling us to hold on to the thought. Every 30 seconds, not my will, but yours. I can do this. It is so simple. Lord, you are most welcome here. Jesus, Jesus, take the wheel. Tomorrow's Monday. Please, Jesus, the prayers that people need to pray right now, that they are praying right now, we hold the thought captive. No one's going to steal our joy tomorrow. 
No one's getting our happiness. No one's taking our hallelujah. We're taking it back. We're bringing Jesus back into our lives because he never left, but we keep walking out the door. He says, I'm still with you. You just haven't told yourself that I am with you. So say it again and again and again and say it all day and keep it on your smartphone and put it in your car and tape it to the windows. Keep it tattooed where you could see it. So Father, as we leave this place, keep our lives so simple. Bless all here today. These are your children and you love them. Amen. Amen.